Sears gets away from Josh Baker, lays it up no good, but a foul called a late foul, a late whistle. And, boy, the Rebel Kevin Kruger is really unhappy. He's seen his point guard get absolutely blasted two different times. Step back one-legged. What kind of shot is that? Have you ever shot that shot? Do you work on that shot? Wait. Stop the presses. Jack Eichel skating in North Carolina. We'll have that in 9.15. Eichel already back on the ice. Cassie Soto at 9.30. Don't really care. Don't know what she'll say. Please be joined now, though, by UNLV basketball coach Kevin Kruger. How are you, coach? Good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. All right. uh, Let's start with it. SMU, when you watch the tape, is it what you thought you saw live? Uh, Yes and no. I thought, uh, you know, we, we weren't quite. You know, we're just a little bit on our heels to begin with. And, you know, SMU is a very talented team. They got guys that can really play, and, and we let them get some confidence going early. And I think that not only affected us throughout the first half defensively, of course, but I think it carried over offensively as well. And, and uh, no, but they, they played really hard, and they played really well that night. When you and you brought in a lot of guys, right? And a lot of them didn't have the opportunity. You've talked about this. They didn't have the opportunity to maybe play and do what they wanted to do at a college level at their previous stops. We talked about this yesterday in terms of how recruiting pitches go. And I'm sure none of them had as many minutes or as shots as they wanted. They didn't get what they, you know, felt, you know, when they signed with a team that they that they deserved. When your recruiting pitch was to them, mostly what was it? Because we're now talking about shot selection, what are good shots, bad shots. Um, what do you tell them when you bring them in? And does those roles change as they get here, and how do they respond to it? Yeah, I think, you know, the the, the pitch hasn't necessarily, it's still, you know, holding true. You know, they've, they've got bigger roles than they had probably at their previous school or went to a, a, a conference in the Mountain West that they wanted to be in. So, um, and, you know, and we're still figuring each other out. You know, we're eight games in. It's so, but uh, to your point, I think a little bit. We're we're definitely getting to the point now where roles are being more and more firmly established. And you know, how we see this going as a staff and a team is is something we can get uh, a little more. Uh, the expectation can just be a little a little higher each game and each game. And yeah, I mean, everybody goes through, you know, learning curves and and growing pains, if you will. But I think with this group that. You know, they're willing to take on the battle and the challenge. So as long as we get better from it here for the next month or so, I think uh, it still, uh, you know, it still does its job. Kevin, so there are times, I'm sure, where, you know, behind closed doors and on your own, you confer with dad, and but you want to create your own identity. It's your team. I, I, I understand it. But when, you know, you start out 3-0 and and you've lost four last five, but all due respect, the four losses have been against very good programs. Um, but is there a point in time that you've gotten to at this point where you're actually sitting back and listening and and, and, t- and soaking something in? And what has that been maybe that it, through these first eight games that dad has shared with you that you're like, that maybe has opened that you didn't see, you know, I mean, it, again, you know, with, with all due respect to your coaching and your, it's your program, but something maybe that's clicked or that he's helped you with? Well, I don't think it's just him. You know, I mean, he is my dad and obviously a mentor, but, you know, that's one of the, I think, the positives that I personally had growing up in this business. Uh, You know, just getting a text from Dana Altman at Oregon, you know, even talking to Tim Jankovic at SMU, guys that I've known for 
uh, a long time. I got to see the guy actually at SMU that I, I played for at Arizona State, Rob Evans, and we got to talk for 20, 30 minutes about, you know, just, you know, stay the course. Stay, you, you know, you, you, they were just kind of helping instill confidence in me that you're doing the right thing. Your team's getting better. Uh, you know, and again, if you want to just look at the one game versus SMU and say you're not getting better, then you, you, I don't think you've been following. Right. I mean, yeah, we didn't play the way we wanted to play at SMU, but that's no reason to just throw everything away and start over from scratch. These guys are working hard. You know, they're, they're working hard. They're here every day. They're getting extra shots up. So we're doing the right thing. I mean, we have a top 50 schedule in the country. Mm. And, you know, we can't just say expect, you know, in the first month. I mean, we haven't even been together a month in full games yet. So it's not going to be a finished product yet. But that's our challenge as a staff is to keep the guys going. You know, show them the progress. Show them how they're, make, they're getting better. And what they're doing every day is right. You know, the whole team is already here you know, for a morning practice. It doesn't start for a while. And, you know, so they're doing the right thing. They're, they're going about it the right way. They just have to keep trusting that the work they're putting in together will pay off. Talking to Kevin Kruger, head coach of the UNLV Runner Rebels, four and four so far in his first year. Kev, we just got done talking before you came on about the college basketball atmosphere last week. I got a chance to cover uh, Gonzaga CMU and then went over to the Maui Semis and then back for Gonzaga Duke. And man, it felt like my childhood days in the 70s at the Rotunda at the convention center. The original Final Four team with UNLV, and then the start of the Thomas and Mack Center in the early, uh, mid to late '80s, and those Final Four teams. Are you sensing that that could help bring that crowd in? I know that's something that you talked about on this show in previous times of on is is needing that crowd, wanting that crowd, getting them back, but. Do those outside games that happen here? There's some big matchups that are coming to Las Vegas soon. Um, and and how do you, what do you need to do to get that back over to the Thomas and Mack with the UNLV programs and remind them that hey, we are bringing back that old school electrifying brand of running Rebel basketball. Well, yeah, I think that that's the challenge. Is I, well, first of all, the first part of your question, I think it's absolutely great. I mean, Vegas is proving to be the sports capital of the world. Um, not and not just in basketball, really. You're seeing other sports come here, and and other sports having training camps, preparing for the Olympics, or preparing for you know a, a European games. We've had in other sports even that have used facilities. So there's no doubt that Vegas is is booming in terms in the sports world, and I think you know that's something that it absolutely we can use going forward. That not only do we want that environment back at the MAC, but we want to be a part of those games. You know, we want to be a headliner at T-Mobile versus, you know, somebody from the East Coast or ACC or Big Ten or what have you that uh, is established in where they want to be, like a Gonzaga or a Duke. But uh, I think uh, it's just one of those things. We've got to we've got to stay the course. We've got to continue to work. But I, I think absolutely that that gets a lot of attention. You know, that those games being out here in Vegas and and not just the event we played in, but just the the two games. You know, that Gonzaga came out here to play. So. Uh, I think it's huge. It's huge. It's great. It's great for the city. Uh, and if it's great for the city, I think it's great for us. Kevin, how important is it that when he doesn't have a good night and you sit him early, that Bryce Hamilton responds as the leader? Uh, you know, he's the assumed leader of your team. Kids go different ways, although you're only eight games in. So it's really early in the season. Like you said, you're getting better. They're already there this morning. They're already shooting. They believe in what you're teaching them. But how important is it for a leader of a team to respond correctly in that moment and has he? 
He has. And I mean, we, and Bryce is somebody that we've had, you know, well, there's only three guys returning, so we've had the opportunity to build that relationship over the last couple of years. And it's our job just to, to put him in the best spots and, you know, to make sure that we're as hard as the decision may be as a coaching staff, that we're doing what's best for him and for the team going forward. And if it's fit early, if it's change kind of what he's used to in a routine a little bit, and it's not just him, he's just kind of, I think, the most visible. But, you know, I think that's one of the hardest parts, if you were to ask me, you know, from being the moving over to the head coaching job, that's probably one of the harder things you got to deal with. You know, those decisions where, you know, you know you're going to hurt the player just in terms of, you know, because they want to win, they want to play, but it might be best sometimes to take two, three minutes and, and gather your gather your breath and take a, you know, take a second to watch what's going on, and, and you just got to hope it works out and trust that it's going to work out in the long run. I asked you about other facets of basketball in this way, but for the listeners here who might only listen or read or listen to John or read Sam and, and Mike Ramallah and not really understand it, can you give a, a simplistic answer on shot selection? Is it as much film work as it is on-court work? Do you have to get into games and really see how you're being defended to really understand shot selection? I mean, what goes into making kids understand what is a good shot, what is not? And, you know, is it is it a learning process? And obviously there'll be some painful moments through it. How how quickly can kids get that? Yeah, it is. It's tough. Um, you know, you as a competitor, you want to prove that you can do things, right? right. You want to prove that, you know, somebody doubts you. You want to you be able to... Uh, Show that you can make it work, and show that you're uh, you're winning. And but I think uh, again with this group, we've just got to be stubborn. We've got to take that stubbornness uh, toward being patient. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really hard to do. And when guys are still, you know, learning each other and and continue to get better. I mean, even in the second half the other night, you could see we were we played better offensively than we did uh, previously. And I think that's just from being stubborn. You know, moving the ball around and. And just just not just being relentless on getting that good shot. But we, yeah, we like to use film. We watch film with them every single day um, because it's pretty easy for the guys to get wrapped up in the game right. and maybe take a shot that they didn't realize is at this time on the clock, or they didn't realize somebody you know an action was developing on the other side. And and I think yeah, to your point, I think that, that just the more you see it in games is always better because practice at this point, you know, you're kind of, you're used to the guys you're going against. Tell us about USF. I think Bischoff's got a poster. This guy, this coach, is on his room with the analytics. Uh, so tell us about USF and uh, going against them. I think, are they still undefeated? They are. They are. Um, yeah, I mean, USF, they're a very good team. Very, very good team up there with the, the best that we played so far this season. And uh, it's another great opportunity and challenge for us. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we've got a top 50 schedule, and that's that's one. Of, they're one of the reasons that it's it's so high, and uh, they play well together. They play smart. Um, they share it. They they they're in sync defensively. But um, no, they're they're a fun team to watch. But uh, so it's a little different preparing for them. But it, it's another opportunity for our guy. I mean, it's another reason they came here. Go play games like that at San Francisco is going to be a tournament team, and and just kind of see where we stack up. Because at the end of the day, it's about progressing here in the non-conference and getting better. So that by Mountain West time, we're we're ready to go. Yeah. Final question: As Willie talked about bringing people back, your UNLV people are going to expect you to play good people like you have already. Uh, I know in the beginning of the year we might have asked you this about your scheduling philosophy. You've got to play big time people here, uh, no matter where your program is as it gets better. So talk about how you're going to 
tactical in the future? And are you going to keep it going this way or even perhaps even tougher when you go forward? Yeah, I mean, we'd love to. We would love to keep it this way. A lot. Of, I think the hardest part about scheduling, oddly enough, just becomes the calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you, you get a lot of, I mean, even talking with Jankovic at SMU about continuing that home and home, talking with Coach Cronin about continuing that, Coach Fox at Cal, uh, even talking to Michigan about the possibility of a home and home at, or a neutral, neutral, you know, in Detroit and back here. You want to get all that stuff going, but then it, it and it all sounds good and it's all great right now. But at the end of the day, the really the ultimate deciding factor is the calendar. And we'll, we'll try to keep doing it. Um, next year might not be as difficult as this year. And the year after that might be more difficult than this year. But right. a lot of it just, just depends on who can do what on what dates. But no, to your point, I think uh, the, the even we're four and four right now, which if you're just looking at it from a, a bird's eye view is probably not what UNLV fans expect. But if you look at our schedule and the teams we've played and the way we played against those teams, uh, I think uh, most Rebel fans would be uh, optimistic about this group going forward and satisfied with the, the effort and energy that they've put into the game so far. UNLV basketball coach Kevin Kruger joined us here in the press box. We know you have practice, but we appreciate the few minutes. Thank you. No, no problem. Anytime, guys. Take care of yourself. Kevin Kruger on to practice uh, next game against USF. The Dons. Uh, oh, Bishop loves that coach, doesn't he? Didn't he have him on earlier when I was out? I had to go get yeah. tested for COVID. Yeah, it was an absolute love fest. It was <laughs> genuinely like, wow. They were just here. They were, yeah, they, they were, played right? in the Las Vegas yeah. Invitational. Okay. They, they yeah. went two and zero. They beat uh, Towson, I think, in UAB. They've already beaten uh, the 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 team up north. The team, yeah, they're struggling. Well, they've won a couple straight, but they they, they struggled early. The team up north. You know the West Coast Conference. Yeah, they, oh, they, they, yeah. they might, they might, well, they might send five or six. Yeah, you, I'm it's telling weird. you, I'm telling you, the uh, you know, you go three, four, five years ago, it's like, well, it's Gonzaga and St. Mary's. Then they, you know, they, they eventually, you know, they bring in BYU. Uh, this guy's got it going at USF. Santa Clara's got it going a little. Uh, the Zags are not going to roll through it. I mean, with St. Mary's, they've never really rolled through it. They've, you know, won most of their games. But I think this year, especially on the road, you go into like a, you know, a, a little barn like USF and they're sold out, those games become really hard, uh, which I think actually will test the Zags. I think they need more of that uh, as they get going towards the NCAA tournament. All right, when we come back, here we go. Stop the presses. Jackie Eichel's on the ice. Before, though, before we're going to do that, Jared is reminding me, we have a giveaway to give out. I Heart Mac and Cheese, a $20 gift card, now open in Las Vegas on South Florida Apache and South of Trop. $20 gift card, I heart mac and cheese. Do you like the mac and cheese? Maybe they put some lobster in it. We don't know. Caller number 7, 702-364-1100. 702-364-1100. $20 gift card to I heart mac and cheese. Call us now. Rose off the high Gibson screen. That knocked Caruso down. It's another offensive foul. And Gibson needs to be careful. Is livid with Ben Taylor. And now he's teed up. He pointed to his eyes saying, how could you do that? And he's been ejected with 4.14 to go in the first. Gibson with a speed walk to the corner tunnel near the Knicks bench. Tom Thibodeau's fury as well. Back-to-back offensive fouls on the screen, both against Caruso, and Gibson is done for the night against his former team with the Knicks down nine in this first quarter. Stay with us in the 9.30 hour. Well, we don't care about Cassie, but you're going to have a chance to win a six-foot sub from Porta Subs and qualify to win a new Yeti cooler. That will be in the 9.30 hour. You're going to want to be here for that. Uh, Maybe Cassie will say something interesting. This is more interesting, though. Jack Eichel, the newest Golden Knight, he is skating. 
Three weeks after the neck surgery, he did a couple of stable reading from the story here, but tentative turns on freshly but largely on a surface on ice. People think this is in the Carolinas where he is scheduled to do his rehab, wearing full equipment, including a helmet with a visor, but seemingly nothing around his neck. Uh, saw the Willie saw the video of this, and I've got to be honest with you. Now, Adam Hill did a great story in the Review Journal on Chris Weidman, the UFC fighter, who had this surgery that Eichel had. And he Weidman said, you know what? I woke up. I, I felt perfect. I felt fine. Now, it did take several weeks to get back to competing in the sport he does. He's a UFC fighter. That's why they thought Eichel would take that long, if not longer, to even be on the ice. Um, but I guess if it went like Weidman did, he must be feeling pretty good. When you saw the video, were you surprised as everyone else? I don't know. I don't know if I was like surprise shock type. It's it's because here's the thing. No NHL player had that right. This is unheard first of. NHL first NHL player ever had this done. That was the whole controversy with the Sabers. Golden Knights were in support of it. So the reality is, when we interviewed that kid in that interview room, that first media availability, you were there, right? I was not. You were not there. Okay, so he stressed. And I asked him the question. I said, Jack, people would say because of that, it's a high risk. It's a lot, big investment. Do you consider it? He said, I wish those people would do the research that I've done. I wish that they knew what I knew. Obviously, he was that confident. Obviously, he convinced GM, GM, and or, Kelly, McCrimmon. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon and, and GM, KM, and yeah. Obviously, he convinced them. So, am I surprised? Maybe this soon, but he was really confident that, you know, that it was going to be within the timetable of the recovery that it was going to be. They were a lot of people were hoping that he was going to be on the ice with the Golden Knights before the Olympic break. The Sabres are coming in when I, I want to say February 8th, maybe. Uh, so I don't know, man. I, I, um, I mean, surprised that he's out there skating the way that he was skating and moving the way that he was moving, I mean, you know, I mean, he, look, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, doing hot laps and spraying no, up and down the ice. He's just he doing, doing figure eights. Yeah, figure eights. But when I saw the video, uh, it was actually the video was pretty funny because I believe someone in the background said, "Who does he play for?" <laughs> this is kind of uh, kind of funny. But someone obviously at the rink, and we think in North Carolina, said, "Hey, there's Jack Eichel. He just had neck surgery. What's he doing out here?" I was a little surprised. So does this? So I think wait, wait, wait let me ask you this: What's the so? That's been the question, right, since yesterday. So, well, he's not supposed to be on skates. What's he doing on skates? Is it so he doesn't slip? Or or why? I mean. Well, why would he be on ice if he wasn't on skates? Right. So yeah. I mean, what I'm saying is, <laughs> like, he had neck surgery, so don't good. get on skates this, this soon after. But, like, does that mean, like, don't walk either or don't do, well, I mean. So he doesn't. He, I mean, he's a professional hockey player. So he's going to yeah, skate. I mean, he's, he's not going to fall. His skating is you and I walking to the door. Exactly. Right so what? What's the? You know, I mean, it, that's just it. Is whatever his extensive research was, and his people, his his handlers, his manager, his agent, all the research has been done. His doctors that said you can do this. You're going to go to the best oh, in the business. Yeah. That's why I'm like, well, okay, I'm not that surprised because you know it's he knew what he was doing. If he, I didn't think that that was going to take place, but... I didn't either. If he comes back sooner than expected, let's say, I don't know, he was supposed to come back in February. Let's say in January, like, hey, he's fine. And just like with Chris Weidman, the UFC fighter, he's he's coming back ahead of schedule, and this surgery works, and they're back to rehab. Would you immediately elevate him to the top line? Because I would. 
Look, yeah, if, he, I look mean, if, if he's if coming he, in, if, he's if, coming yeah, in. Yeah, if he's coming in, he's coming in. That means he's ready to play. Right. I mean, he's gonna. is he going to skate a couple games in the AHL? I mean, is he going to skate with the team and warm up in practice? I mean, if he if, if Peter DeBoer's putting him in the lineup, he's got. I, I just think that he goes to the top line. It's not a matter of where he goes. It's a matter of where everyone else goes. Right. You know, I think I'm, you just drop Chandler Stevenson down one, down to down to the third line, because obviously, and this is assuming William Carlson is back, right? Because I don't right. know. Although I'll tell you one thing about Pete, uh, Pete DeBoer. Now this is before the season, so he didn't know how it was going to play out, and he certainly didn't know about all the injuries. He did let on, like, look, the misfit line has been really good, but we're going to play where we think people are that we should we can win games. True, but he's also called that the that's the identity and the one reason why it's it makes sense to move Stevenson down to the third not because he's a third liner but because in dealing with all the injuries that this team has dealt how many wings has Stevenson skated with Mm -hmm. where now he knows the nuances of those guys skating to the left or the right he knows everybody up and down the all those forwards so he's better suited more familiar than Eichel or Carlson because he's having to deal with it this entire season. Boy, I'll tell you what, that bottom six, when this guy is healthy and Carlson's back, the improvement that bottom six is going to show is going to be exponential. It is going to be a huge improvement. And that's when everyone's back. People can say, okay, this is finally the team that everyone thought it was going to be that can make a run for the cup. Your AP colleague, Steve Wino, had something interesting to say. I thought yesterday when it comes to flower, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, and the potential of him moving on from the Blackhawks, he'll probably learn about it on Twitter. Yeah, we we were talking. We we interviewed him yesterday on, on Cofield, right? and and so we just wanted to. This is quick, Steve Wino. Steve Wino. Stephen Wino. Just wanted to get some quick thoughts from him. I says to him, "Hey, I'm of the belief that he's not going to end his career in Chicago, even if it's one of those. Hey, trade for a dollar on the last day of his career, send him to Pittsburgh, let him retire a Penguin. He he doesn't need to require retire a Golden Knight. If he gets a statue outside of T-Mobile, that's great. But he's a Pittsburgh Penguin. He's a lifer, right? He's going to. He's he's still got a home there. He's got the boys and girls club, all that, whatever." He says to me, I don't think he's going to end this season in Chicago. I said, where is he going? He says, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up with the Washington Capitals. Team he just beat. Yeah, last night in the shootout. Stopped Ovechkin. Can you imagine? You just talked about how great that bottom six could be when everybody's healthy. Can you imagine a Stanley Cup rematch? The Capitals versus the Golden Knights and starting at goaltender for Washington. Mark andre Fleury versus Robin Leonard. I I am all here for it. I can imagine because T-Mobile will be 90% for the other team. Yeah, no, there will be a bunch of people in Golden Knights jerseys that say Fleury on the back back. that will be cheering against. I I am here for it. 100% give it to you. Give give me the Capital Golden Knights rematch from 2018 Stanley Cup with Fleury versus Leonard. I mean, it would it would be absolutely <laughs> tremendous because uh, now Flurry comes it. if he's still it's with so the Blackhawks, he's here on January eighth, and you and I will both be there. And I'm absolutely looking forward to all the Flurry jerseys and all the Flurry sweaters and asking and talking to these people about how much they love him. We've already seen it—the crying, the nut, the craziness on Twitter when this guy got traded. It, it, I'll ask you this, especially with the uh, tribute video. Yeah, I'll ask you this. On January 8th, are we going to see a lot of that? Are we going to see Golden Knights I'm fans actually cross the yeah. line? Well, here's the craziest fan, the two craziest fans that are going to be in there, because you know that I'm a partial season ticket holder. You mean the press holder. box? Go ahead. No. the partial. Okay. I'm the partial season ticket holder. You that know was, that. That was good. <laughs> I get nine home games a year. 
And we do a draft. Right, right. So is it, and it's the, you know, you go one, two, three, four, yeah. five, five, four, three, two, one. I picked the first Blackhawks visit to get here. Uh, so, so, so one of my season tickets is the Chicago Blackhawks. I've debated whether or not to sell them. I never go crazy on the upcharge if I sell them to friends. I, I bought the reason I got it. So Jordan can take clients from our perfect gym, or he take a girl, or mom wants to go, whatever. And I just get face value. But I'm debating that particular game rather than try to make a bundle. Christmas gift for mom and stepdad. Can you imagine? You know my mom. That's completely lunatic. Oh, my God. She'll have a Blackhawks jersey. Yeah. Oh, it'll be completely nice. Limited. Tears, cry. She'll be t- sending you and I texts from Press Row. We'll have to go down and calm her down. Yeah. Yeah. Completely lunatic. Yeah. Well, there's going to be a lot of flurry fans there. It's that gonna night be such a disaster. It would be. It would be. Uh, it's going to be absolutely crazy. The, if the t- Mark Stone scores on flurry, oh. and it, the boos start coming, yeah. it's going to be just the most like. He already kind of has a generic, like, kind of puzzled face whenever he talks. He's going to be looking up at the crowd like, I don't know what's going no, on. Exactly. The tears in that tribute video. Can't wait to see it. When we come back, yeah, she's here, Cassie Soto. Uh, guys, it's it's just not going to happen for her. We should really lay off the fact that she's been dating the same guy through six running rebel coaches. It's the only thing in her life she could call an engagement. Raiders.com's Cassie Soto joins the press box for her weekly hit. Well, we know that's not true. She's showing the ring to everybody out at Raiders. It's absolutely embarrassing, to tell you the truth. People walk in, and she kind of holds her hands up for no reason. People are like, why did you get your hand up? And it's that ring, you know, the, the bling. Estrus did well. It's a huge rock. Uh, Cassie Soto from Raiders.com. So you have given me the offer, and it's a good one, to be the ring bearer at the uh, wedding. Uh, you wanted me to walk down the uh, dog you only love. I said, no, I'm walking down the dog you don't love anymore. And then you put in the closet, and he'll have the ring on him. Can I still be the ring bearer? How, can you have them both? No, I don't want the other one. He gets too Double much. Double duty. Gets, no, he gets too much attention as it is. I don't want anything to do with him. All right, you can walk Champ down the okay, aisle. All right. That's fine. Can he ride Champ down the aisle? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. You Come on, Champ. Come on, Champ. Let you. Oh, good for yeah. you. So you and I talked about wedding planning, Cass. Um, the worst. It's it's just you're just you are you are hoping that sis takes it all. You just don't even want to deal with it. Just let me know. Just your attitude is just let me know when and where I got to be. So I, it's so funny. I got an email, a work email, that all of like the chapels on the strip are doing palindrome weddings until the ninth, right? Because like the the date is the same forwards as it is backwards until December ninth. Mm-hmm. I was like, why don't we just do that? It'll be like fifty bucks. <laughs> And he just looked at me and didn't want to do that. Are you telling me that Estrus is the one who wants the big crowd? It, that that no. does not sound right at all. It took him a decade to propose. Maybe he just isn't ready for the wedding to be tomorrow. That's <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah, no. I think yeah, I think he I think he he wants me in the dress and the whole shebang. Really? I think so too yeah. because the other day you were telling you were, we were talking and you're like he kept he keeps putting it on you though. Mentally, he's like, you know, no, I know this is well, what yeah, you want. Well, yeah, that's I'm going to have to be the one to plan. Like, I right. got to do everything. Right. And I'm just feeling a little lazy to do all that. So, 
if I'm being honest. I just I just don't want to plan. I can't wait for the for the the things that you just ordered for the for the bridesmaids and the maid of honor, the whole you know the whole presentation and when sis sees it because at that point. She's going to say, I got you. And then you're going to, there's going to be a ball of stress that gets relieved. And then we're going to have, you know, that chipper friendly cast. You won't be so angry whenever, whenever anybody brings it up in the media room or at the Legion, you know, just in terms of, you know, just are you planning it? No, I'm not. You know, so once she receives (laughs) that prize or that, that invite, then the stress will be relieved. Yeah, the other the other seven people that I have I'll have beside me, they can help me for sure. Yeah, that'll be great. Has I your, can't wait for that. Has your boss, uh, Mark Davis, committed to being the person performing the ceremony? Oh yes, he the coming? Efficient? No, he. I haven't asked yet. I feel like I have to ask him in a very special way. Don't yeah. you think? I, I think so, but, you know, you are that's the star. Not, that's not a question we could just ask in one of the staff meetings. You are the star at Raiders.com. Um, have you picked all these uh, weird people to be, uh, like, bridesmaids, and, and who will you leave out? Like, that's always the pressure. Yeah. Like, I didn't get I didn't get asked, so I'm yeah. a little confused. I mean, Jared hasn't been asked, but have you picked the people in your mind, and if you're only going to have five, are you going to say, ooh, she's six, it's not going to be good, she probably won't come? I have picked that there's seven. Seven. Ah, you're overdoing yeah. it. You gotta, you gotta what get, a shock you're overdoing get it. Get it up to an even eight. I'll be I'll be on the very end. <laughs> There's seven. I wanted six, but we get we had to squeeze in a seven. Oh my so, seven. Well, so seven so whoever five. number seven is just found yeah. out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, wait a minute, I was the last wait a minute, you just called me last night. Uh so so poor Estrus has to come up with seven groomsmen? Well, well the best No, one. no, no, no. He has I had to come up with one more. So this was wait, he, okay. What, what's happening with Estrus all of a sudden? He wants the big got, wedding. He wants to dress. He's got really close male cousins and his brother and some really good friends, and so he couldn't leave out like one of his core people. So he got to seven, and I was like, man, now I got to find somebody uh, from like middle school to to fill in middle here. School. Now I want to ask you something real quick. Uh, who's he closest to in the world? Me. No, Aww. not you. <laughs> Somebody, somebody no. Two in the world, his brother. Okay, his brother. Are they really, really close? Like they love each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're really, really close. All right. I tell Estrus, Canelo can be in the wedding, but only as your best man. Is the brother booted? Ooh. I'm telling you. He, first of all, if Canelo's coming. He's not going to just be a groomsman. He's going to say, "Look, I get the lead role here. I'm not coming." But Estrus he, has to boot the brother bride. to be a groomsman. He gets to marry the bride. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, that's the main role. Yeah, yeah if, Nello, if Nello gets to stand next to him on the wedding day, yeah, he, everybody else, now it's eight. All, or should we kick out the seventh person? Yeah, you kick out the seventh person. The yeah, we kick year. out the seventh person and Nello gets Canelo could be the DJ. Wow. Yeah, probably. You know, uh, Cass, now planes can hold a lot of people. Not are we this gonna, kind of plane. So are, are we going to go there? So, are we going there? Oh, we're absolutely are we going, going there? there. You know, you could hold the wedding, and then this would eliminate the big crowd that you don't want. You know, it's like, God, there's all these people and this. So let's talk about the love cloud. So we were at Raiders. When was this? On Wednesday? Uh, yes. Yes, and it was Raiders the Wednesday. Listeners out there, if, if they've heard, there's this ad that is, I forget what radio station it is. Do the voice, Cass. I can't do the voice. It's creepy. Um, there's this woman that whispers on a, the entire commercial. She's whispering, so it caught my attention because I'm like, what is going on here? She's advertising the love cloud, which apparently is totally legal. 
but it's an airplane that a couple could rent. I think there's like different hour, like an hour, 45 minute package or 90 minute package where you rent this airplane, you and your significant other, and you are able to become a member of the Mile High Club. Wow. And it's a real life thing. Now, and I couldn't believe it. From what you said, it's nine hundred bucks a person. If you want like a yeah. sandwich or something, they add a couple hundred bucks for the food. Eleven fifty. I told you, this estrus kid could get away with a really cheap honeymoon. I mean, you're, you're going to want to. You're going to want this kid to take you to some exotic place. He's going to spend a fortune, and it's going to be a complete waste of money. It's like buying a new car and driving it off the lot. Well, uh, if I take if I take Willie's advice on this, I have the wedding, and then all the wedding guests help pay for the honeymoon. Oh, like, you know what the funny thing would be? If you put on your wedding registry, like Target and Walmart, and then at the end, it's it's uh, the, the cloud, the love cloud for 900 bucks. you got to see who would, like, follow through. I, I, I'm guessing Los and Bronco Mama would not. They'll probably get you, like, the silverware, so. <laughs> like, the plates. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see if someone followed through, especially if they didn't know what it was. Like, oh, this sounds nice for the, for the two kids. I'm only putting my Venmo, my Venmo and my Zelle account. Cassie, Cassie was really, when I told Cassie what my wife, now ex-wife, um, what we did and how we, what we requested and, and then what the return was, her eyes lit up in the Raiders room. She was excited. Okay. I told. Look, I need that cash. She wants that cash. I told oh, you just said cash for people? We just, we politely, you know what it is? I wrote like a like a poem type thing. Like I just like, Hey, can't wait to see blah, 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 blah. And it, was, it was all in rhymes, but it ended with in a clever way asking for an envelope. So I told look Cassie, at the wife's, look at the wife's sash. So I just I, want cash. So I told the, I told Cassie that at thank our God, wedding, thank God you, it was sash. Is the rhyme <laughs> the reception line, it looked like a scene out of the Godfather or Goodfellas. Cause they were all lined up with envelopes, leaning over, handing these envelopes. Oh, no, we ended, up, we, we, ended up, we ended up with over seven grand. Really? Yeah. Boy, that was better, Mike. Cassie, you want to hear a nightmare? What? You want to hear a nightmare? Yes. We ran out of food at the reception. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Bonnie budgeted. Yeah, yeah. the Bonnie budget. <laughs> the Bonnie budget. Uh, well, we're already planning, like, so the f- immediate family will be the ones that will get, like, fed in the open bar, and then I'll just tell everybody else that the wedding's at, like, 8, and that's when everybody else can show up. Uh, y- this isn't true, though. You're not really doing this. Yeah. Jer- Jared, Tyler, Jared, Tyler, and Willie and I, it's BYOB? BYOB well, cash bar. I oh, must, my goodness. How much, how much do you guys really want to celebrate with us, huh? Are you cash bar? No, I not at all. Cash I, I bar. Don't, I don't drink, so I don't even need to go to the reception. I'll just go and enjoy Cassie saying like, I do, and then I can bail. Like, like we don't get I'll a, go to the we gym. Don't, we don't get a sandwich? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there'll be leftovers or something. Man. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know, we're, we're thinking of getting a food truck, too, like having a food truck pull up. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Boy. No! It's a wedding! <laughs> no. We want to sit down. We want the salad. We want the chicken bo- buffet dinner. We want the potato. We want the nice cake at the end. What oh, are you, crazy? come on. What? You know what? You know what? You're going to talk your way out of the being invited, Eddie. You know what she's going to do? She's going to say, all my media friends, instead, we're going to hold it up at a Legion on a Raiders Sunday, and you can run through the dessert bar. Yeah, I, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, my yeah. I'll just do an engagement yeah. party uh, on a Raiders Raiders home game. And, Katie and yeah, Will bring me some envelopes. Katie and Will will hook you up like that. There we go. That's oh. a big. That's a big area up there. Yeah, that's fine. Oh my god, everybody came to my engagement.
Asian party. You guys are so great. Where is it? At Where's Allegiant Stadium? Where's the envelope? <laughs> Unbelievable. Where's just, the... This wedding's get, getting worse and worse as we there's talk. There's going to be... There's... Heck with you. I'm not going to be the ring bearer. There's going to be some family member that she will have not seen in like several years and she'll be like, oh my God, I can't believe you came. Where's the envelope? <laughs> Man. Where's the money? I'm going to tease Cassie how to open the envelope too, <laughs> upside down. What? Yeah, or when you open, you open the wedding card, you yeah. just open it upside down. You don't... Just, you, oh, you don't you, want to read who it's from. You just want the money falling. Yeah, whatever out. falls out. <laughs> wow. The, All right. Well, sis, sis is, sister's going to plan the wedding. I'm going to plan the poem to ask for the cash. Man. Well, you, know, you you were a friend before you called, but now you're just someone from Raiders.com. Uh, we'll see you out at the game on Sunday. Thanks. <laughs> okay, my engagement party sounds good. Yeah, see you later. <laughs> How about this? Not feeding us? Not feeding us or giving us a beer or two? Unbelievable. The cash bar was where I drew the line. Yeah, cash bar? She's bringing in people afterwards? When I, I got to talk to Los about when this. When I lived in the Midwest, it got to the point because everyone was married by 22. There was like the summer between 19 and 21. We, we, we'd we just be going to like three weddings. You know who I had at uh, what service I had at mine? Because this was before Uber and all that. We had... There were two companies in town. One was called Arrive Alive and one was called Designated Drivers. And if you were at anywhere in Las Vegas and called them, it was, I want to say, 40 bucks. Okay. And they would pick you. Two people showed up, and one would drive your car, and the other one would drive. You would drive your car, right. and then then the person drive would follow. You. And then, yeah, they you'd get in the passenger seat of your car. Someone would drive your car home. Then that person would get back in the Designated Driver's car, and then they would go on to the next call. We had Designated Drivers at our reception. So that way, if anybody... Yeah. See, because he's planning for a fun reception. Oh, we went through bottles of Patron. <laughs> a lot of it. I, did, I had drank a bottle uh, uh, before the... Before the nuptials? Before oh. the nuptials, yeah. Oh, Jordan's stepfather and I. My goodness. Oh, yeah. I, I Now I feel I don't feel as bad uh, running out of food. Speaking of food, press box transition, you have a chance to win a six-foot sub from Porta Subs and qualify to enter a new Yeti cooler brought to you by Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas. Caller number five right now, six-foot sub from Porta Subs. We're going to qualify you to win that new Yeti cooler, 702-364-1100. Caller number five, 702-364-1100. We'll get him. As I told Coach, whoever took you out, John, that was a paid assassin, okay? That, that was one of the best hit jobs that I've been a, ever been around. Okay, they did. They didn't go to their media goombas. They didn't leak this to Adam Schefter, uh, or one of those guys who breaks stories. They first went to the Wall Street Journal, and when Gruden was still coaching after that, then they dumped the rest of it on the New York Times. That was a professional hit job. You're locked in the press box. Closing it out here on a Friday. It's Ed, Willie, and Jared Tyler back Monday. All right, that was Brent Musburger coming back. We played that the other day as well with Tyler in terms of his thoughts on John Gruden's emails and what happened to Coach Gruden in Brent's mind. You uh, had a, an opinion here in terms of something that was said that you think is often misconstrued. What is that? Well, <clears throat> the way that Brent Musburger used it, and, and let's let's be clear that Brent is an old-school guy. He's He's not in any way, shape, or form racist. But the way that he used it is similar to how it was used in the movie The Godfather when the Hollywood producer tells 
uh, the consigliere. I don't care how many so-and-so mafia goombas out of the woodwork. There's a phrase before that he says the word mafia. It's very derogatory. And if you use it in that connotation, it can be. Now, I wrote a story from my personal website during the pandemic when things were slow, as you know. And one of the themes one month was ringing in the new year, talking old Vegas. And I interviewed Steve Sharippa who was on uh, The Sopranos and Blue Bloods. And I spoke to a a mutual friend of ours who we go way back. He actually gave me my first DJing gig back in the day, DJ Frankie. The subhead in my story is Goomba. And I say, when I'm reading verbatim, a Goomba, as they say in Italian, is not a derogatory term. It's a compliment. A Goomba is not a Guido, and a Goomba is not a gangster Frankie Annabelle said, explained, it's one of those Italians that does the right thing, just lives by doing the right thing, being morally and ethically correct his whole life. Sharippa emphatically is a goomba. Now, when you're talking among Italian-Americans, it's like, oh, paisan, goomba, forget about it. How you doing over there? You know what I'm saying? Goomba, my paisan. You know, like my boy, Vinny, Vinny Bonsignier, Vinny Boombats. That's different than my Irish brogue. It's it's very different also when you say it in what in how Brent phrased it in saying media goomba, a hitman, like, an assassin. He's automatically putting that all together and I can see where Italian Americans are taking offense to that because you're now tying the entire thing together. If you look up the word on Wikipedia, when non-Italian Americans use it in that there's a there's a social connotation that automatically brings Italian Americans and organized crime and hitmen and and a hit and a mafia this and this and that. And that's where the problem lies within. The phrase itself is not a derogatory term. It can be a phrase of an affectionary term. So, and something I I brought up in the break is we kind of have this, to a certain extent, with the Jewish people, like you can call us Jews, but if you say it with a bad attitude, it suddenly is like, okay, that felt anti-Semitic, even though it's the same exact word, and we'll refer to ourselves as that, but whoa, wait, wait, wait. The way you just put some stank on it. Right. It would be as if, you know, if, if someone were talking, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, a stereotype that has to do with the Jewish heritage and then saying a Jew and then and then saying it derogatory. Yeah, it's the same thing. But like I said, it, it, when Italian-Americans um, and, 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 it, and I and I would venture to say someone, you know, a lot of people think that I have Italian, but I'm not. I'm Colombian and I'm Lebanese, but a lot of people yeah, think I'm think, Italian. They think so, you're an Italian guy. Yeah. I thought you're an Italian guy with the suits and the, and the pasta. Eh, he's just very, yeah, he's, he's got the suits on a lot. He's the Italian leather suit, the Italian silk. I you have like no the, Italian leather suits. Well, you just no, said te- leather. Okay, yeah, I meant the silk. I meant the silk. I, you're going to go, you're going to go cover something in tonight. a month from now that we think about. All right, that, oh, yeah, that yeah, we yeah, we yeah, talked about, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What'd you tell me yesterday? I'm making this much money, but I got to take out so much, so many hundred dollars for the new suits. <laughs> they, they're it. very Italian-looking suits. I thought you're the whole time I knew you. I thought you're Italian. If I you, called the tailor right when I cut when I cut the deal with the with the organization. You called the tailor. Said I need I three tailor, news. Four, four new suits. Four new, four suits. new suits. Right. You know what I hope they do to you? I hope you buy those suits. And then this event you're working, saying, here's our polo. you got to wear it because we got the logo on it. And you've uh, bought four new suits for absolutely but, no reason whatsoever. No, wrong. You know what I'll have it ready for? The Capitals and Golden Knights in the Stanley Cup. Ah, oh, with Marc-Andre Fleury if, and goal. If you, Press box. <laughs> Transition. <laughs> if you are ever 
out at a sporting event and you see a group of media members, the one who's best dressed, oh, that's Willie Ramirez. Go close. up and just say, hey, Willie, how you doing? He gives me some looks sometimes on my suit. A couple. I, I've seen a couple looks. Well, He's the got same. the arrogance of the suits this time. I've been to four events with you, Ed. It's the same suit. No, 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 no. no. I change shirts and ties. No, I've got three. I've got three to four suits. I got three to four. Hey, I mix them up. I mix them up. First thing it says to me just now during this last break, I said, you know, Demond come try to square up on me outside the the, the when I went to you uh, see uh, Q, and he said, he said, what are you doing afterwards? He wanted to go lift. And I was like, I got to go home and get ready for the Pac-12. And Ed looks at me. He goes, you got to go home and get the suit out. Yeah, you got to get the suit out. (laughs) Yeah, I got to figure out which one I haven't worn to Allegiant this year. I got the three of the four. I mix in the khakis with the sport jacket every once in a while. All together, how many sport coats and suits do you have in your closet? Right now? Yeah. Four suits, three sport jacket, a lot of shirts, a lot of ties. I got 30 suits and 10 See, sport this coats. this is embarrassing. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. yeah, you did a great job today, Willie. That's Willie he Ramirez. just did the bad flip. Tyler, we think, is back on uh, Monday in case, unless USF loses to uh, UNLV, then he'll be in some kind of depression. But uh, we think he's back on uh, Monday. Thanks for listening.